Hi, I'm Rick Baptist. I'm a studio trumpet player for 40 years, and you are listening to Skull Rock Podcast. Alexa, play Skull Rock Podcast. Playing Skull Rock Podcast from Amazon Music. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts, El John Go and Dave Bossert. Welcome to yet another edition of Skull Rock Podcast, the show where we talk about all things Disney and pop culture with never before heard stories, behind the scenes moments from some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, and so much more. Once again, I'm your co-host at the helm here at the control room, Al John Go, musician, longtime Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars fan, pop culturist. You can email me, Aljon, A-L-J-O-N at SkullRockPodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossard. I'm an artist, filmmaker, author, and pop culturist as well. And welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, including Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Amazon Music and Audible. And you can like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And you can also email me at Dave at skullrockpodcast.com well al john here we are with another show we've got a fabulous guest tom bancroft is in the green room waiting to come on and uh i mean another week i mean there's so many exciting things going on one thing i wanted to mention right at the top of the show yeah 70th anniversary of the african queen wow humphrey bogart Oh my goodness, what a classic. Holy moly. Uh, (laughs) I mean, they're doing a special screening. I'm going to a screening of this in a movie theater. This is going to be the first time that I see the African Queen fully restored print. And it's being played at a local theater as part of this Fathom events. That's cool. and uh, that's uh, next week. Uh, and I would encourage people, if you've never seen The African Queen, go see it on a big screen. It's a beautiful restored print. I'm so excited about this. And, you know, part of the reason why I'm excited, Al John, is because later this month, Disney's releasing The Jungle Cruise. And if you if you look at The Jungle Cruise with, with Dwayne The Rock Johnson yes. and Emily Blunt, I I get this vibe every time I see the trailer for it that it's a cross between the African Queen Uh and Indiana Jones. 100%. Or Romancing the Stone, which is, you know, the same same vein. You have that humor, the wit, the, the, the banter, and you're absolutely right, I think. The, a lot, I, and you have to go back to the attraction, and I think a lot of the attraction was kind of drawing from that same influence, was it not? I, I you know, I think that you know, to some degree, it was uh, without question. Uh, but boy, I, I'm just uh, saying that you know, uh, great things uh, are timeless, and to yeah. me, the African Queen is one of those movies that I would really encourage people if you if you get to see it in in your area, if if Fathom Events is taken over one of the screens at your local multiplex and they're going to show this absolutely go see it. It's being presented by Turner classic movies. And uh, I mean, my gosh, uh, one of the great, great classic vintage movies. 
Absolutely, 100%. And uh, Fathom Events always puts on a good show. So uh, definitely be sure to check that out for sure. And before we get to our guest, which is just amazing, it's always good to have one of the Bancroft brothers, you know, uh, in in the mix. And uh, I tell you, we do have a couple headlines we can uh, talk about if you'd like. Yeah. All right. Skull Rock Podcast, ripped from the headlines. It's Skull Rock Podcast headline news. You know, it it wasn't going to last forever. You know, price increases are going to be happening across the board. ESPN, along with Disney. uh, You know, we talked about Disney Plus uh, and the price increases. But yeah, ESPN and their subscription prices are going up, Dave. Yeah, you know something. This is uh, this is really if it's just the standalone ESPN channel that you're going to get, or the the streaming channel, uh, ESPN Plus. They're raising the price on it, but apparently they say it doesn't affect the bundle of Disney, uh, Hulu, and ESPN Plus uh, as part of the Disney Plus bundle because they already raised that price right. uh, earlier this year. That's right. So, uh, but, you know, I have to say, uh, you know, uh, it, it's inevitable because the more content they're putting on these channels, uh, the more you, you the more you're going to have to pay for it, I, right. I think. Yes, exactly. It's semantics. You know, we already raised the price. So, hey, you know, whatever, <laughs> you know, you know, and, yeah. and I do have to say uh, kudos, kudos to Disney for actually being transparent with the revenue they received from uh, the uh, Black Widow on Disney Plus where I've, I, there's, there's some acronym or something for that yeah, uh, for streaming, uh, you know, for, for paying the premium price, even though you already have Disney Plus, you have to pay like $30 more to watch some of the, right. like, like Black Widow. But they were very transparent in saying that uh, they made $60 million off of uh, the Disney Plus uh, upcharge uh, for uh, Black Widow. Yeah, right. And I think that should be counted. I mean, everything there, you consider that most homes with Disney Plus have at least two plus members. So, you know, they're reaching a bunch of eyeballs. But once again, it it's not just content for content's sake. It's quality content, right? And, oh, absolutely. And they're offering it up in, in big, big ways. And once again, People will vote with their wallet regardless. They'll be able to see the the film in three months outside of its premiere access window. And they're still offering people a choice. You're, you can watch it down the road as part of your included subscription, or you can get early access now and watch it. Um, good for them. Good for them. And, and, you know, you said something very important there that I think is we really have to keep front and center. It's choice. You're giving the consumer choice, and that's always a good thing. If somebody decides they want to spend the 30 bucks and sit on their sofa and watch it on their television, uh, go for it. Uh, but if other people like me who want to go and see it on the biggest screen, the biggest IMAX screen possible, uh, that's exactly what I did when I went to see Black Widow. Exactly right. Uh, and I loved and I loved it, by I, the way. Uh, that's good to know. I was going to ask you, you know, uh, yeah. how did you like the film? And that's that's great, you know, once again. Um, and speaking of, uh, you know, money, uh, we're here in uh, the United, em- uh, United Emirates. Uh, they're there, the UAE and Kuwait. And uh, the Walt Disney Company is uh, opening its first ever shops. How about that? Shop, shop in shops. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's right. Store within a store, as they say. Uh, they've got Dubai, uh, the United Emirates. Uh, they're doing their thing up there. I mean, they're selling merch. 
and yeah, go and, for it. And this is Al John. This is very much like what Ralph Lauren did with uh, building their boutiques inside of uh, department stores like Macy's and uh, Bloomingdale's and places like that. Right. It's it's the same kind of thing. It's a store in you know, within a store, and uh, and that seems to be the direction that uh, the Disney stores are going, at least in the United Arab Emirates and yes. Kuwait. Uh, and I got to tell you, I, I know you've been to Dubai and I've been to Dubai. Yep. It, it's unbelievable. It I mean, is. What, I mean, they have the all kinds of firsts over there. Uh, we were we were talking about that earlier uh, before the show started. Yeah. But I mean, I've been I've been to the top of the Burj Khalif, the yep. tallest building in the world. Yep. Um, uh, they've got uh, gigantic aquariums, like the largest aquarium in the world, at a hotel there. Uh, and they just recently, uh, I think it was this past week, uh, just opened the deepest swimming pool in the world. <laughs> you know, if or I should break say it. the deepest swimming hole. Right. It's, two, it's 200 feet deep. I, I can't even fathom that. <laughs> um, no, but, but that's right. I mean, if there's a world record to be broken, you can believe it's going to be broken over there. Um, you know, possibly Dubai or, you know, the, the Arab Emirates, you know, they're, they're doing their thing. Um, you know, Abu Dhabi. I mean, they're all, they're all really working for those tourism dollars. And, and, and you know yeah. something, it is a friend, they're very friendly, both Abu Dhabi and uh, Dubai. I really absolutely love both places. I, I've been there numerous times over the years and always had a very good time. And the people are very friendly. Uh, I love the police department in Dubai uh, because of the cars they drive. They have <laughs> Bentleys, Ferraris, uh, and they have the fastest police car in the world. They have a Bugatti Viron that they paid $1.6 million <laughs> for. Of course. That is a police car. Of course they do. And I will tell you, Dave, so you were there, you may have been there for research and, you know, and all kinds of trips and things uh, to do your thing with Disney and such. But I know I was there for, for the USO tours because my band performed um, for our troops overseas and those people were great. And I can tell you that those cars, when they break down, they just leave them on the side of the road. These sports cars, <laughs> they'll just go out and buy another one because that's that's how rich that country is. But, uh, you know, they're going to be lining their, their coffers over at Disney because everybody there loves a Disney merch. So. Absolutely. Yep. We we love UAE and we're happy to see that Disney is opening their first shop in shops there. Well, there you go. Well, speaking of Disney, we do have some uh, high level execs that are retiring from the Walt Disney Company, as it as it were. Uh, they'll be following Iger out the door. Uh, you know, uh, Bob Iger is uh, he's been telling everybody he's he's he had one foot out the door now for a number of years. And uh, it looks like uh, we've got people here. What is it? Uh, Zenia Mucha and Alan Braverman, uh, Braverman uh, are retiring. And those were literally uh, the next step under Bob Iger. Yeah, they were, they were part of the uh, inner team, uh, you know, the uh, executive circle at, at Disney. And it's not a surprise. Uh, you know, anytime uh, your CEO or chairman uh, uh, retires and leaves the company, uh, the next guy coming in, in this case, Bob Chapek, uh, you know, he's going to put his own people in place. Uh, and, uh, and the important thing here is that there's a smooth transition and, it's always uh, good to get new folks into the, some of those uh, top level positions. Absolutely. Last but not least um, is 
I'm trying to remember. That was it, actually. <laughs> I think that we we wrapped up yeah. our new segment, Dave. Yeah, that was that was it. I, I think it's time to pull Tom Bancroft away from the snack table in the green room and, and get to our guest. Exactly. Oh, Al John, as promised, uh, we've got Tom Bancroft. We pulled him out of our green room where he was munching on the snack table. Uh, Tom is a veteran animator, uh, 25 years experience in the animation industry. He's worked at Walt Disney Feature Animation, which is now called Walt Disney Animation Studios. And he's worked on such films as Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King, Aladdin, Pocahontas, Mulan, and Brother Bear. Uh, I mean, this guy is unbelievable, and we're so honored to have him here. Tom Bancroft, welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. Hey, guys. Howdy. Uh, welcome, welcome. Nice to see you, and yeah, so good, great to be here. Uh, now, you. you know, Tom, I have to say, uh, we had your twin brother, Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 Tony Bancroft on the show uh, a couple months ago, I think it was. Uh, and uh, I, we had this burning question. And that is, if if I punched Tony in the arm here in Los Angeles, <laughs> you scream in Nashville. Can you can you settle that and answer that question for us? Oh, that's funny. Uh, we have heard that question since uh, elementary school, and many people have tried it. Um, I can say that no, it doesn't work. We've had our little twin stories and twin moments, I guess you could say, but the the pain thing doesn't seem to be one of them. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that's a good thing. Hey, yes. I, I, I was just joking. I, I really, we're honored to have you on our show and really want to talk to you about not only your career in animation, but your continuing career, because uh, we're going to get to it later on, but we're going to talk about your pencilish. Uh, studio that you have going uh, yeah. and all the cool things that you're doing. But I want to kind of back up a little bit and, and sort of, you know, talk a little bit about the fact that it's kind of, I don't know, it seems unusual. Maybe I'm wrong when it comes to twins for both of them to go into the same profession. Is that true or not? You're, you're plugged into the twin community. Yeah. You know, it, uh, it does matter if they're identical or fraternal. Um, we're identical twins. And so what comes with having, and by the way, I have two daughters that are identical twins. Wow. And And that's common, right? I mean, it's common for a twin to have twins. Not as much because they say it it skips a generation. So I'm going to back up and say that they're third generation twins and that my father-in-law also is a fraternal twin. And, um, and so, uh, of course, then I'm a twin and marrying a a woman who has a father that is a twin. That's, I think, how that ended up happening. And so uh, I don't think that is as common because it does generally skip a generation from what I know. Interesting. I'll I'll do my, I'll do my Luke, my uh, Owen Wilson. Wow. Wow. No, but it it is kind of fascinating because I've known a lot of twins in, uh, in my day, you know, and it just, you know, the uh, twins are relatively common. It's not an unusual thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think triplets are more unusual, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's especially, you know, if we want to get into this a little bit, when, when the, um, what do you call it? The medicine that the, the, the drugs that came along that helped with fertility, um, that's when you really saw the, the upswing of twins, but also, but especially uh, multiples. Right. Uh, right. So it is less common as of whatever, we'll say the 70s, whenever those drugs sure. came around. 
um, people were having more and more uh, multiple births. Uh, before that, it was a lot more rare. Even even twins were were pretty rare or more rare. But do, um, do you guys belong to like a, a twin organization? Like, is no, there a t- they, you know, they have this thing every year in Twinsville, I guess. And I don't know what state, but it's somewhere. Do you guys know? No, state? no. I, Twinsville sounds like it's a made up name. It that sounds like it, a, a Hollywood town or something. Twinsville, no, Pennsylvania it, or Twinsville, Ohio. It's something like that. Okay. So it's one of those. And, um, and they have an annual uh, twin convention. And so they celebrated a few years ago, um, they celebrated, I don't know, the 25th anniversary or 50th. I can't remember. Yeah, Twinsburg, Ohio. Twinsburg, Ohio. There yeah, it is. Twins- and, and it's basically within driver distance of Nashville. Yep. And so my girls said, oh, we should go and you, you and Uncle Tony can come and, and we'll go as like these, you know, this set of twins. And uh, I wish we would have done it. It was pre-pandemic a few years ago. And, Man. and uh it was just sort of, it was one of the, it would have been the perfect time to go, but I guess we could go any year. I think they're back to having those conventions and it's just like a bunch of twins getting <laughs> together. And I don't know what they do. I don't know if there's a good restaurant there. You just freak out the waitresses. I, I'm not sure. I, I'm curious where were your daughters, uh, uh, did they get confused when they saw you and Tony together or when they were very young? Yes. Um, and daughters, did, did they and, make and mistakes? <laughs> did they make mistakes as to like who was really daddy? Yeah, they did. Um, it, definitely when they were babies. Um, and I have four girls and Tony has three girls, by the way. Um, and that, that was true of not our wives so much, but our, our kids when they were young. Uh, because also we were living apart at that point. We, yeah, we lived yeah. 3,000 miles apart. I was in Florida at the studio there. Tony was in the California studio uh, by the time we started having kids. And so they would constantly not see us for a little while. And then when I would come visit California or Tony would come to Florida, uh, it would really, yeah, it would kind of mess with their brains. They would <laughs> like looking back and forth and not getting it, you know. Okay. Well, I could probably talk to you for the next couple of hours about what it's like to be a twin or something, but, <laughs> but we really want to talk about animation. And, uh, and, and I know that when we had Tony on the show, I asked him, you know, what it was like in high school, were you guys drawing pictures to, to get the girls and all, all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but you know, you had a similar experience as Tony did, right. Uh, when you were in high school and you, and, and yeah. again, getting back to that earlier question I asked, is it, is it, unusual for for you know both twins to go into the same profession or do they sort of deviate as they're growing older and have different interests i I don't think it's that unusual um okay i I think it's maybe as it's maybe it's unusual to go all the way through your life doing the same thing Mm -hmm. i think that as twins you do start with a lot of the same likes and dislikes and um usually something will come into your life that will sort of make one of you diverge off that path, right? And with Tony and I, we stuck at it. We just kept going and, and it was art in general and cartooning at the beginning, Mad Magazine. We all, we had the same loves. We loved sure. the Peanuts comic strip and mm-hmm. Charlie Brown and drawing Snoopy and stuff. And that evolved into us doing our own comic strips, both together and separate in high school and then into junior college. And then us discovering animation simultaneously through a friend of ours. And I think Tony, I did listen to the podcast. I think Tony told that story. Um, so go back. On, so so the audience needs to go that. back and listen yeah. to the Tony Bancroft listen episode. To that. Yep. 
Right. Put a pin on this one. Come back to this. Yeah. In just a minute. <laughs> and and um, we'll be dropping some uh, some cryptic uh, clues that you can only solve if you listen to the Tony Bancroft exactly. uh, podcast. Right. <laughs> Easter yeah. Here's one right now. Left <laughs> knee. Okay. You'll figure that out when you listen to that podcast. So, yeah, we, we, uh, we just kind of stayed glued together, I will say, and artistically, too. And we just... Uh, you know, being shy, uh, little boys, you know, cartooning and just drawing kind of by ourselves made a lot of sense, reading comic books, all those things. And so it made us kind of stick together longer than maybe some other twins that got into sports and one would be naturally better than the other. And and that, so next question, was one of us better than the other early on? Um, I will say that, you know, there was a point um, and girls has a lot to do with this. So I'm going to throw this in is that I started dating a girl in high school and Tony being uh, the less attractive of the two of us um, <laughs> not, did not get a girlfriend in high school. Or, and when he did, she was a psycho, but, um, but mine was <laughs> wonderful and loving. And so I would go out on dates and things like that while he would stay home and draw. And so there was a moment in time where I think he got to be, more committed to art for, for a good year or two there than, than I was. And because I was starting to get out into the world and, and, and the wonderful world of women. And so that exposure uh, sort of separated us momentarily. And I think he did get to be a little bit better when we were in high school with his comic strip. And that was right when we were sort of trying to be more individual too. And I was doing my own comic strip and he, he was doing his own. And for a while there, I would just be, when we did our comic strips together before that, he would want to pencil them and I, and then I would have to ink them and letter them. And that was like the dungeon of being, doing comic strips. I didn't want to be the inker and letterer. I wanted to draw my own. And so right. we kept arguing about who could, and then we would trade off and I would draw it and then he would just critique it harshly. And, and I was like, nope, that was what separated us as artists was we started doing our own comic strips because we didn't want to argue about who was going to pencil it and then being harshly critiqued if it wasn't the way the other one envisioned it. Right, right. And I, I'm imagining, though, like, you know, when you say one's better than the other, I mean, that's really relative when it comes to art, right? It, I it mean, is to some degree, but not when you grow but, up but with as the same you're influences. Like, yeah. We were pointing toward the same source of what was good, which was Charles Schultz and... Yeah. Uh, Mort Drucker and, and Jack Davis, you know, from Johnny Hart and those. Yeah. And so with those loves and they're all different styles within that in comic books to Marvel comics, if either of us was closer to one of those artists, you know, take your pick, then we knew that that person was, was better at that moment. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so had we had sort of maybe a little bit more like fine art for one of us and the other, then you could kind of say that, but we were pointing toward the same star. Got it. Like a Got sibling it. rivalry is, you know, really between the two we, of you. Oh, we had it harshly. Yeah. I mean, and really it got harsher. It started out fine. We were just drawing together. And, but right at the time, Tony and I were always kind of, I think a little bit unique, maybe not incredibly, but as artists, very young, we didn't look at our peers around us as like the source of inspiration and going, okay, this is where I am level wise. We looked at pros. We were always yeah. looking at the comic strips and did we have that ink line quality? Did we have, you know, the, are our jokes as funny? Were, so, because we already had a peer that was sort of built into our art and yes. that was my brother. And so 
I knew, I, I, and he, because he was looking at that level too, up, up higher than just our age group uh, and, and trying to seek that also, it, it immediately made us push ourselves for one, but also it made us very competitive of like who was getting to that level sooner. And it only got worse when we went to CalArts and places like that, where everybody around you now is competitive. Um, and so we've always well, been very competitive, uh, but it, it did get better later on in life. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think going to CalArts or any of those uh, animation programs or art programs uh, that are offered uh, across the country and around the world, really. But mm -hmm. I, I think when you, what you're, you're like leaving your high school class where you're like the artist, you're the, yeah. you're the go-to artist that everybody wants to have, you know, draw stuff for, you know, a poster or this or that, you know, sure. and, uh, and now all of a sudden you're thrown into a class of 30 people who are all the same, yeah. you know, so. And, and some are better, you know. Right. Than, oh, than, than a lot of them are sure. better. Yeah. A lot of them are a lot better, you know. Oh yeah, that's ah, Absolutely. Well, I teach now at, at the university level here in Nashville at Lipscomb University and I, I, that's part of my opening speech to the freshmen that first day is like, you know, welcome to both the most wonderful time of your life and some of the hardest because today's the day you're going to find out that there's other artists that, you know, were as good or better than you. And you're going to have to face that fact from here on out. You just sounded like my music professor in school <laughs> talk. Because that's what it is. So first of all, I have to say that my 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 career in music is very similar to you and your brother's career because my brother is very close in age is a year and a half younger than myself. And we were oh. the same. We challenged each other in the same way you did with music. Mm -hmm. And then moving oh, okay. into the university level, when I was studying music and, and wanting to be a music teacher, the same thing happened. My music professor sounded just like you, Tom saying that very same thing. It's like, look around you, you know, less than half of you will be here by the end of this semester. And then you have oh. juries and then you're there playing, you know, all these, all the instruments and everything. So yeah. It, and I went to a conservatory for music. So that was very oh. cutthroat. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I saw that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I do think it's really great that you give the freshmen that kind of a talk. Yeah. My, yeah. my only, my only uh, suggestion would be to add the button. Welcome to hell. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, and, and actually I, I don't go as Algin. I, I totally hear you. And, I, but I don't go that far. I, I really don't believe in being the destroyer of, of their artistic growth. No, right. I've, I've seen too many Mike judges in, in our lives, right? We live in a world now uh, and Rick and Morty and uh, we can name Simpsons. Oh my that. gosh. Yeah. We can name a lot of shows that when I was at Disney, were starting to come out in the nineties and I was, I was on another track. I was on that track of like draftsmanship and, and uh, subtlety in your animation and, and learning from the traditions of the nine old men. Right. And meanwhile, the, the industry, the, especially the TV industry, was shifting away from draftsmanship into like this crude, and it started with Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, I, Beavis I, I and blame, Butthead, yeah. I blame them. Yeah. And then it went into uh, Simpsons with yep. Matt Groening. And now we have Rick and Morty and, and many shows where it it's uh, King of the Hill, uh, that Mike Judge kind of a style where it's all about drawing kind of high school level and making it, just funny. The, the scripts are funny. Uh, it's, it's all about the writing, Tom. It's it, more about the writing. Yeah, it's all about shows. the writing. Well, and yeah. attitude. And if you can have, yeah. yeah, attitude. It's all about, and, and just fun expressions and stuff to go along with the writing. But it, 
like the draftsmanship is not part of it. Like I literally could not work on some of those shows. They would not hire me. And I've heard that I've, I've, I've never tried to, but I've heard that, that many of people that I know from Disney that have tried, they're like, Oh, you're Disney. We're not interested. They don't right. want that mentality of draftsmanship and dimensionality. Yeah. Uh, they want it to be flat and, and crude. Flat and kind of a crude look. And, and yeah, you're going to break that style with your, your Disney. Which really, class. honestly, you could pretty much drag anybody off the street to do that. You know, uh, that's, with, that's what training, I kind of feel like. I mean, I, I won't know? go that far, but yeah, <laughs> certainly with training, you can, um, you can do that. And, and I knew, you know, our generation, I'm going to include you guys into my generation. So I apologize. Well, Tom, I'm much younger than you are. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know for sure. But, uh, but, but I'm, when I was kind of coming up into animation, um, you know, Hanna-Barbera was, was big. A lot of the people that I worked with at Disney had started at Hanna-Barbera and, and, or Filmation. And those were obviously early limited animation, not really well known for drawing ability to get those jobs but like Ruben Aquino, who I worked with on, uh, on well, Mulan, but also other films, Pocahontas, um, was a great draftsman and amazing animator. He'd done Ursula before that and Little Mermaid. Right. And he started at Hanna-Barbera and he said, you know, what they would encourage us to do is to draw the, the model sheets, just to trace them and change the mouth or raise the arm, you know, just change the pose. But trace as much as you can. And that was a way to get through footage really fast. And sure. And so really wasn't about the drawing or even animation ability. A lot of times, uh, Barry Temple started there too, who I worked with. And so, um, I would hear those stories about, you know, and that's kind of the mentality we have now that's sort of evolved into the, I think the Rick and Morty's um, out there, but yeah. And the Bojack horseman and yeah, there's, there's, there's countless, uh, countless shows that are popping up and, and actually they're all starting to look similar. Yeah. You know, as are. far as the crudeness of the character designs, we need to come up with a name for that, that crude style. Okay. So, I, well, so this is a family show, so I, I can't, I can't make any suggestions well, that so, I'm thinking of right now. Well, well it's, it's, it's the, the analogy is very similar to music, right? So, you know, the mm -hmm. Disney style is very, you know, very polished and, and stuff like that. And so that's the kind of craftsmanship the Beatles would put into the music versus the, okay, so I'm part of this too, like the grunge movement, which is that the Mike Judge, right? So you have yeah. the 90s style, late 80s style of that movement counterculture, which is not as refined. And so yeah. now they all say different things. They're all trading specs, different things, but I would put the, you know, your, your caliber and your caliber, that the style that you come from as Beatlesque versus Nirvana-esque, right? I like that they're analogy. They're, they're brilliant. I've never been called ones. a beetle before, but I love it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I can picture you as a mop top. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> I think the nine old men are the Beatles. I'm okay. Somewhere. Uh, sure. I'm like a monkey. Okay. Uh, the monkeys. Yeah. We'll take it there. Or Aerosmith. We'll Copy. call you Aerosmith. How about that? How about that? Okay. Okay. I'll take that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> But Tom, uh, I, I want to drag us back into because uh, we, we keep going off on these little side benders <laughs> hey, here. It's but fun. but it is fun. Um, but I I'm curious to know uh, you you guys were doing these comic strips and you mentioned all these great uh, comic artists uh, you know like Johnny Hart and Charles Schultz and all these people and uh, are you still doing those kinds of things? Are you still trying to do your own comic strip? 
and how how has that whole sort of dream changed for you? Yeah, you know, it, it's funny because I will say that's one area, applying this back to twins again, that's one area where Tony and I have kind of differed through the years is that I've always been somebody um, that has, I really seek out challenges. And I also have this sort of inner bucket list at the same time. And so I've always had, um, ever since I started at Disney, um, sort of side projects that I would do. And so I did eventually do my web comic. I did it as a web comic, but I did my comic strip and I called it Outnumbered. And it was about a, a guy who's basically me and uh, that <laughs> is surrounded. He's in, he lives in the world of women and, he's, uh, and he, he has to sort of suffer through it. Um, and so we're kindred I have, spirits. We're kindred yeah, spirits. Yeah, I have a wife and four daughters, and even our dogs are female. And so, I you know I know that world. And so um, I tried to do it without being like this jerky sexist comic strip. Mm-hmm. But um, and, and I probably skated that line then. But I will say that I think in general it, it was a fun kind of a comic strip. I got a, I did it for about two or three years online and had a, a decent following, um, and even pitched it to the. Um, uh, I think the, at least the one syndicates. or two syndicates. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, and it got fairly far as far as like, you know, they liked it and things like that, but it, it really, uh, and this was probably uh, mid two thousands, we'll say 2005 or six or eight, even somewhere in there. Uh, maybe that's not mid two thousands, but anyway, it was somewhere in there and that I was doing that. Um, and, uh, they were already kind of on in this mentality of like shutdown. Um, I don't know what it's like now. It must be horrible to submit ideas, but they were all like, you know, we don't really introduce new strips very often. And when we do, it's like one a year. And, you know, it was just the need for content was not there at all in the, mm-hmm. in the syndicate world. They were just trying to stay alive. It seemed like. And so, I was actually thankful for that because it was like I don't I don't want to do a comic strip nowadays. The 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 glory days of, that I grew up with of comic strips is gone. Um, it's sad to say, but it is. Well, it's kind of gone the way of of uh, physical newspapers as well. Right? Yeah, yeah. It'd be and like the, I want to be a news reporter at the Chicago uh, Tribune. That's my yeah. dream. <laughs> uh, well, hope you like online, you know, publishing. You know, you're going to be a bloggist, basically. You, you know, um, we had a we had a cartoonist on uh, many months ago, Bob Scott. Uh, oh, I love Bob Scott. Yeah, yeah. And, and and he does, uh, uh, you know, he does his own comic uh, strip, and, and and he was talking about the fact that you know the whole syndicated uh, comic strip business has just changed so drastically, and that a lot of the cartoonists are online, like you did with yours, uh, yeah. where you made it a web strip, uh, and and then of course bundling those uh, those uh, comic strips into a book form. Yeah, and that's what I did. I, I did it long enough um, that I had enough comic strips to do my little Garfield book, basically, in that same format, um, and had them all colored um, because at first they were black and white, and I, I ended up hiring a colorist, and we colored the whole, all of them. So it was a few hundred, and it was enough to put together a, a little book, and, and then I killed it. So, so that was one thing I did a comic strip. I mean, I did a comic book also to kind of hit that bucket list of uh, called opposite forces. So it was my superhero comic, but it done in a very cartoony Mm -hmm. animated style that for a few years and four issues of that self published it. So I've always been sort of very entrepreneurial 
um, but also loved having my own stories that I could tell. And that, that comes from being a part of the animation process where you are not an individual, no matter how high up you are in that pipeline, you're still part of a major pipeline of hundreds of people making this thing. And that's even true in TV. It's my, it's might be a little bit smaller group, but it's still true that you don't want to do that by yourself anyway. But I loved always having my little side projects of comic strips, comic books. Um, I, you name it, I've probably done it. I did comic comics for Disney Adventures magazine. Back and and you were doing you were doing a lot of this um, uh, while you were working full time. Uh, yeah, you, you had you had your animation day job at Disney, and like many of us over the decades, uh, we did freelance gigs. We did our own art. We did you know uh, different types of art outside of animation on our own time. Yeah. Uh, and so that's what it sounds like you were doing. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. I've done commercials, uh, you know, uh, snap, crackle and pop. I've ah, done, I know, was right there with the, you. I think we probably worked on a couple of those together. Yeah. Yeah. You know? there, was a, there was studios in, in California and Chicago that I was working with on, com, uh, on, uh, commercial stuff. Uh, and so, yeah, through the years, uh, and then freelancing for other Disney parts, like, you know, Disney publishing, I've done a sure. lot of children's books and, and, uh, uh, I've done over 50 children's books, not all for Disney, but um, illustrated a lot of children's books too. So kind of, you know, I've done everything and that's kind of led up to, uh, I'm at the point now where I've started, uh, you know, I started the animation program at Lipscomb University about seven years ago and got that up and running now. And, and it's it's really booming. We have 80 students now from freshman to senior. We've graduated, uh, you know, a few classes now. Um and so, you know, I, I think as soon as a challenge starts to die down, I, I look for the next one. Yeah, so you're, you get antsy and, uh, mm -hmm. and t talk a little bit about uh, Pencilish. Uh, Thank and, you. And yeah, like, this is. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a natural lead-in because, I mean, you know, look, we we've talked about Beauty Beast, Lion King, Aladdin, Pocahontas, Mulan, Brother Bear. I mean, we had Aaron Blaze on a couple of weeks ago talking yeah. about uh, Brother Bear, but I I'm really want I'm I'm curious to sort of you know uh, hear what you're moving into now and the fact that you worked on all these great animated films at Disney and then you went off and you did. Tales, you work with the folks up in Chicago on a lot of that uh, material uh, again, but that's all animation. And then you've started this animation program at a university uh, and you're still there. Are you heading the program? Are you teaching in the program? I yeah. I head the program and I teach also. Okay. Um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm, you know, debating what the next steps are there, I guess, to be honest, but uh, I, um, I launched the Pencilish Animation Studios. And I, what's interesting to me, so I'm going to back up a little bit and say, yeah, yeah. there there became a perfect storm of things in my life. And and by the way, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer. So I, I don't look at things as coincidence. I, mm -hmm. I kind of take have taken coincidence out of my life uh, years ago because it, it sort of fights the idea of, of prayer and answered prayer, right? So I... Um, through the years, uh, I've had a lot of things kind of happen. And one of the things that's happened through the teaching side of my life has been, and I did a few books, by the way, I did some character design books that have uh, been published and went around the world. I used it at art schools all around the world. 
called Creating Characters with Personality and Character Mentor. I did those a few years back. And so that- And, and you me. did those on your own, not with your brother. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the funny thing. A lot of people think that we do everything together. We only right. do podcasts together. That's, we have a, that's, I'll mention it here. We have a Bancroft Brothers Animation Podcast. All right, uh, Al that. John, you, Al John, beep that out. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the Bancroft Brothers Podcast is absolutely fantastic. Yes. And they've got some great guests and I would encourage our audience to check it out. Well, we've been talking to Dave Bossert to be on that for a few years now and we still haven't done that. Well, so I'm, we gotta, I'm always happy to do it with you guys. You, 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 you just tell me when and I'll be there. You got it. Okay, It'll be okay. a train wreck. I don't know. It, <laughs> my, it could be the end of the bank or brother's podcast. You're gonna tear I don't it know. down. That'd be how you get more listeners. Gonna tear it down. I'm going to cuss the whole time. Um, so anyway, through through all the educational stuff, what I started realizing too was that there is a lot of really amazing young artists out there. And I started realizing too that some of my students, by the time we hit four years with them, and by the way, we have John Pomeroy at Lipscomb teaching also. We have some Oh, is John really, there? Is John yeah. teaching there? I, I, knew he, I knew he was over in Tennessee. I didn't realize. I, and I knew, you know, Hendel Butoy's uh, teaching over at uh, Southern Adventist University. Nearby. Which is sort of, yeah. is, is that near? Uh, it's down towards Chattanooga. Yeah, he's really close to Chattanooga. So yeah. it's maybe an hour and a half drive, I think, something yeah. like that yeah. from us. So, yes, he's got a great program, too, from what I understand. Um, but yeah, so we have a lot of former Disney animators and storyboard artists and things like that that are teaching at Lipscomb. And so by the time they're there in their fourth year, they're really doing some great work. We're, we're producing some really good like thesis films in their senior year. And then I also went to Nemo Academy and that's in Florence, Italy. And I've, I've established a relationship with the owners of the Nemo Academy. I've been there now six or so times and teach uh, during the summer, for them, we make a little short film with about 50 students. And I'm, I've seen how amazing those come out and how you can do things with very little budget and that the passion level at that age, and I remember how I was too at that age, um, but the ability level, it has risen. Like they, many of these students are much better than I was coming out and going into Disney. And so I really believe strongly that that uh, so I started doing projects with my students and that while they were still students, they were making money. Uh, I would bring in professional jobs and I would supervise it and supervise them. And obviously the client would know and all that. It wasn't like a secret. And so we did stuff with the Tennessee Titans um, and things like that, made little animated uh, short film for them that had a real budget. And, and so going through that process and making those films with the next generation, basically, I started realizing like, wait, this is maybe what I want to do. I don't, cause I, up till now I've been doing everything independent and all that. And I started realizing, I really fought the idea of having an animation studio, but then I started realizing this is pre pandemic. I don't have to have an animation studio. Those teams are around the world. I'm starting to establish uh, groups in Canada and Italy and elsewhere and Spain. Do it virtually. And the U.S. And, and knowing, yeah, how to tap into those young groups that love to get together and make their make a film together. And they started doing it in school. But now what if right after they graduated, they had a second option. They don't have to just go to Disney or Pixar or whatever. We can make a new series or a show with them. Um, and so they really have become my target, not only for who I'm making the animated shorts we're making right now with Pencilish, but the target of 
the creators making those too, is I want to bring those in, those type of uh, artists and especially the youth that goes with that. Um, and so Pencilish Animation Studios is all about that. We are a crowd invested animation studio. So that's the second tier that I think is interested and unique about what we're doing that we're the first animation studio that has crowd investment. So what that means is that we actually have shareholders. This is real stock that they're buying into Pencilish Animation Studios through a, a website called WeFunder. And, uh, and there's multiple platforms, but this is just one of them. And so unlike Kickstarter, where you're just backing uh, a product, like a book or something yeah. like that, you're, you're, you're backing a company. It's a much bigger idea, a very much more complicated to set up to, by the way. Um, but, um, but it's a real company and you have stock in it so that when we produce things, you're actually going along for the ride. Not only do you get the interest of being able to be a part of, if you're artistically driven, you get to kind of see the development of series and shows and characters, but you also get to, you know, root for it, but then the payoff of it later on of, of where it goes, you can benefit from. That's pretty awesome. Uh, you know, the, the one thing you said earlier about um, uh, with your program at the university of bringing in actual clients and working on projects uh mm -hmm. that that to me it, it i i'm a big fan of that because it gives the student the 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 industry experience while they're in school they're yeah. learning as they're doing it's almost I, I kind of liken it to the john wayne school of swimming you get thrown in the deep end and you <laughs> and you start swimming pretty quickly because you learn right. faster yeah don't you think yeah. Yeah. Without the terror. Um, but yeah. Um, and the, and the life and death situation, but yeah, they get, they have real deadlines and, and we do have a production schedule and now we are kind of lenient. I will say, you know, obviously if, if somebody's kind of drowning to use the analogy, um, uh, you know, we'll work with them a little bit more, but we might have to take them off the show to do that and say, okay, you can go a little bit slower, but you're, by the way, you're not going to get more footage. You're not going to get more work. Just so you know, this one scene is probably all you're going to contribute, but we're going to work with you on it to make sure it's up to par. But, uh, and I might have to do more drawers and work with them closer while this other student that's doing amazing uh, will get some of the work you probably would have gotten. But yeah. that's also something to learn from is that, you know, if you want to have a bigger contribution to that show or feature film or whatever it is, I learned this from Mark Ken, you know, don't dwell on it, you know, get, get the point across that needs to get a point across that is needed for that shot and then move on. Cause mm -hmm. I saw a lot of people then in, in at Disney, especially some of the young people that didn't get that mentality. They, they came out of Cal Arts as perfectionists and they wanted to make every shot a milk call scene and had to go over it and over it and refine the overlap. And that was not how I was trained by Mark Ken. Yeah. I was his assistant. He was my mentor for many years at Disney. And he, he was known to have, he could do the footage of three to five animators. Oh, right. Oh, no, I know that. He he yeah. actually uh, was, was- Yeah, you worked with him a yeah. lot in this yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, he was one of the projects. top, yeah, one of the top producers. I, I Any chance I could get to work with him, I, I always grabbed him. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, he did the Tinkerbell animation in um, Saving Mr. Banks. 
which was oh, yeah. a, a little thing we did in special projects at the studio when that was in production with Tom Hanks. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I know I, I completely agree with you on that. Uh, you, you have to get the point across and move on. Uh, you can't, uh, you can't, uh, you know, uh, keep noodling a scene because I think the scene gets worse uh, the more the people spend time on it. You know, it, it certainly, it just, it certainly you, can. you, you get into the, into the weeds of the scene and you lose sight of what the scene is going to, is supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, so I, I, to get back to pencilish animation studios, I did want to mention one thing, which was the fun part of it is that I also decided that if I'm going to create a company um, and we're going to create new content and that's our goal is we're creating new IP that people will own uh, with us. I also wanted to bring in industry people. So it's not just me that everybody's going, okay, that's the person I have to trust. I want them to know that there's people behind me. So we have a really talented advisory board and it includes people like Steve Macbeth, who's a former vice president of Disney. Uh, you may have crossed his path, I would imagine. Yeah, the name sounds familiar. Yeah, so he was there for, and he helped create Disney Interactive, that division, mm -hmm. and he yeah. was involved with Disney Consumer Products. Um, Ming-Na Wen is a celebrity, and she's a part of our advisory board, the voice of Mulan, but also agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. and in The Mandalorian. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my brother Tony's on the advisory board. Wow. We well, also I mean, have Aaron Blaze, who you mentioned Okay, Aaron, Aaron, Aaron's great. Yeah, I know, Tony. Don't worry about him. <laughs> no, I'm yeah, Aaron, he's, he's, the, he's the real deal. Um, and we, we even have people like my friend Christopher Joe, who's a chief compliance officer at AIG um, in, in funds, and um, you know, Jason Brown, who's in a uh, business advisory board member. And then Ash Grayson's one of my partners. He's actually on the marketing side. And so we actually have a marketing person involved. He has his own company here in Nashville. Um, and so that's been a real blessing too, is that he knows how to, we can create things. We know how to get it out into the world. Um, we have connections with the, you know, the big parts of the industry, yeah. but we're doing it independently and we're not starting with feature films. Like a lot of people think we're creating TV series that we're going to launch on the pencilish YouTube channel, uh, for starts. Awesome. Tom, uh, and you know, I've done this to you guys a couple of times over the years when I've run into both of you together someplace. I'm, I'm oh, always joking by the saying, world has calling, calling you Tony and calling him Tom and all of yeah. that stuff. But, uh, you know, in all seriousness, Tom, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, how, when you were how creating is Pumbaa. I don't even want to talk about uh, any of that stuff because I'm more fascinated with the uh, animation program you started and yeah. then the studio that you, you're, you're building. So, mm -hmm. so the question is, um, are you doing the studio all virtually and are you able to do both of these things at the same time? Yeah, so, so phase one, I am. Um, I'm continuing to teach at uh, Lipscomb University and I am paring back a little bit uh, how many classes I teach and things like that. And so I'm actually looking at some people that come in and help me uh, at, at Lipscomb uh, that can kind of help take it uh, even further um, while I'm kind of paring back slightly. Uh, and, and there may be a come a time where that's not possible, but for phase one, yes. Uh, because we're mostly, we're still raising funds, but also I am launching into creating three animated shows. So I'm, and I'm finding that that's a lot harder than I thought. I have a, a team of people around me, not just the advisory board, but I have 
uh, former students I've hired and things like that that are are doing development artwork on these shows. And I have partners that are either create two of the shows are are outside creators that I've tapped that are doing the writing and doing the heavy lifting of what is the world that we're creating in that. One of the shows is my show, something I already had developed. And so we're developing that one also. So, and we're going to make shows. We're going to not, not just develop shows and then try and sell them to the big boys. We're, we're creating these animated series. So they will be fully animated series that will unleash to the world. Um, but yeah, to, to answer your question, uh, continuing both. Um, and, uh, but yeah. At, both, at least for now, uh, right? For the foreseeable yeah. future. And, and Pencilish is virtual. So um, mm-hmm. while I have some people here in Nashville that I'm working with, we're still just doing it via Zoom, even though COVID is pretty much over in Nashville. Um, we're, we're certainly not, we could meet together, but in most cases, we're working all very virtually. So I think it's more convenient actually to do Zoom because you the, you cut down on the commute. I think it's better for the planet if people stop driving and just uh, you know meet via Zoom and and other platforms. Oh, uh, for sure. to, to conduct and, business. And we do we do get together. So we'll have more of the occasional get together of where we want to really like have some sketches in front of us and do it old school and maybe I do a draw over or things like that that just make it more fun and fresh and, or we're hashing out story ideas and that sometimes is easier and, and just, it, it is, it's easier to kind of do that face to face. There's stuff yeah, happening no, in the I, moment I, I, that obviously it, it does, it, it does mean something to meet with somebody face to face, but you don't have to do it all the time. No, we don't. And, you know? and I think it was excessive. I must admit in the, there were so many meetings that for one just didn't have to happen when I was working at Disney and then other times, oh, it, 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 it was just one of those time. things. I mean, <laughs> you, you, Tom, you and Tony were both at the studio in the early 90s. Yeah. You know, and yeah. and so we were there when there was very few meetings. Yeah. You came in and you did your work and we witnessed this increase in meetings and increase in people carrying clipboards that was just oh yeah you know like it, it seemed counterproductive didn't didn't we i i felt yeah, that way there was know? a there was a tipping point where we got more and more production people uh to help um and we were growing but we weren't necessarily growing artistically we were growing on the production side the support yeah. side and um, it got out of hand. It got out of hand to the point where I was like, no, I can sharpen my pencil. I'm good. Thank you. Um, let me do that. And I, I actually I, I actually had to throw an assistant production manager out of my office because we were having a brainstorming session. It was just yeah. myself and a couple other artists. And we were sitting there literally throwing ideas against the wall to see what was going to stick. And you, you're familiar with these kinds of processes. Yeah. You, you come out with funny things, outlandish suggestions, but they, they start to coalesce in a little piece of this and a little piece of that. And all of a sudden you start to get this spark that comes together together yeah uh that's like oh well maybe this what if we did this and we tried that and you know Mm -hmm. and you start to solve the problem well that process doesn't work when you have somebody sitting on the floor with a clipboard saying excuse me can you explain what that what we what you just said can you explain what that is as they're writing notes and you're like okay you're just breaking my train of thought here get out yeah, I know. No. And th- you can't have reality police in those places. And that's what yeah. production people, that's their job. And to be fair, 
we need them. There's no doubt. You need but, a certain number of them. Yeah. But yeah. there's certain times where they shouldn't be there. You, you don't count how many props is going to be in that show when you're pitching the show. Right. right. That yeah. comes later. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, all the experiences that you had at Disney um, and, and other studios that you worked at over the years, have, have has has that come along with you? And I'm imagining it has, uh, but in the sense of I'm never going to do that and I'm never going to do this, but I'm going to do that. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Um I really feel like there's so much to pencilish uh, that that I'm doing that is is brand new. Um, we're trying to use the tools that are already there and kind of reinvent the wheel at the same time. And that may sound like it doesn't make sense, but what I say, I want to create new IP in a new way that's that's cheaper and less 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 expensive, but still has a, a quality look to it. Um, and work with creators that aren't being tapped too, by the way, and artists that are not being tapped because they're like, oh, no, no, you have to start at the bottom and things like that. They're being told these things or that your ideas aren't as good as somebody else's. Well, these are all people that I had good ideas when I was 20. Right. I mean, I know I did. I just didn't necessarily have the ability to see those through. And so working with established professional professionals like myself and my advisory board and shepherdy those ideas, that's a new concept, believe it or not. Like it doesn't, it doesn't happen in the big studios, especially now because they become corporations. Um, and so yeah. some of that's reinvention, some of that's invention. Um, but yeah, all the things that I've learned and seen, and I've seen the waste too, by the way, I watched the, on the Disney plus, uh, I watched um, the frozen behind the scenes uh, mm -hmm. series that they have. Yeah. And it's both interesting. Now I've lived that. This is the computer animation version. I love the sure. 2D animation version, but still it's not that different with the review process. Like it's a yeah. nervous animator showing the director in a big room with other people there, you know, and getting a review of your work. I've been there. Um, and so seeing them go through that, but then seeing like the minutia and the pickiness and all that, that gives me chills because I'm like, <laughs> I can see that this is an animator that's been, this is like the 15th time they've shown that scene. And, and I'm like, you know what, guess what? That that's not going to matter. Probably that little thing that you're now reviewing. Right. And so while I love Disney films, and I love the Disney process. Some of that, how far they go and for how long they, they irradiate. Now I can't think of the word. Iteration. Thank you. They, I, now I can't say it. Iterate. You, you, iterate. You iterate. <laughs> iterate. Right. Let's you iterate. Various iterations <laughs> of, uh, yes. How yes. many iterations are done for every scene and thing and every character design and every prop and every, all the way down the line, every effect, every, like, there's often times where they're going back to the second version because we've all been there before, sure. right? Where we've Absolutely. done, we've got to do the iterations because that's what we do at Disney. We don't yeah. settle on the first one. And I get that. Do five different versions, but pick one. Sometimes you can, <laughs> yeah. and uh, many times you can, and that's how you save 
thousands, millions of dollars to oh, on, on how without, without question. I mean, yeah. look, the, the running joke in animation has always been, we never finish a film, we just release it, right? Yeah, because, exactly. because with hundreds yeah. of artists working on it, you can noodle these things until doomsday. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and it's you have to realize it's a business as well as an art and you have to you you, you have to balance those uh yeah. and uh certainly we've witnessed a tremendous amount of waste but uh I, i'm curious uh to to hear your thoughts on uh looking at all the animated films that are being released today uh mm-hmm. i i was i made a comment to al john last week about this when the Encanto uh trailer dropped i don't know if you saw that it's the I latest uh, yeah. Disney animated feature. Mm-hmm. And I, I, w- I think it's a beautiful looking movie, but I, I, I focused in on some of the animation that was in the trailer and the animation felt, it felt different mm-hmm. than Disney animation. And, and I don't know if you felt that way. Like I, I said to Al John, if you, if you put up a, a scene from Tangled, you know, which is was a CG film as well, mm-hmm. and looked at the fluidity of the animation compared to what I just witnessed in this trailer. There, there's a difference to me. Mm-hmm. Is there a difference to you? Interesting. I I didn't think about it watching it. Thinking back, I totally I think I get what you're saying. Um, yeah. And that there was no standout animation. It was kind of point A to point B kind of movement, right? Um, now, is that fair to judge on a trailer? No. I don't know, but I will say that a trailer for Tangled, you still saw some of that magic, some of that old yeah. gracefulness oh, and beauty absolutely. in that animation because yeah. it was in every shot practically. Yeah. It was dynamic. Um, I think I think dynamic. I think the dyna- dynamic thing about Tangled was the lines mm-hmm. and and this is from just my I'm not an artist obviously, but just the way things were swinging in and out, there is a depth and a dynamism that's in there and mm-hmm. a kinetic energy from even the trailer that you didn't see, which was more static in Encanto, but that's I, just me. Well, and I will say, if we're going to be harsh, let's do this. Um, I, I didn't care for any of the characters. They, they felt very... Uh, Generic. It, it felt like a TV series, yeah. uh, not a feature film, and that, yes, the animation, I think, was a little bit more uh, simple, um, but then I felt the same way with the characters, as they felt like they were coming off of like the VHS cover of Little Mermaid, where all the yeah. characters just smiling, and it it felt kind of um, commercial, and and uh, I I don't know, we'll we'll see. Uh, yeah, I mean the the I other mean, thing that I got from the trailer was that I I looked at it and I thought to myself, this could have been a live action movie. It, and it, it, was, no. it was all I mean, humanoid animation. In in fairness, we've gotten to the point with effects animation and live action that any live action film, you know, uh, a Marvel movie, which yeah, in the past sure. would have been like, this would have been way better in animation. Nowadays, you can't say that anymore because no. you can do superhero powers and, and abilities to to the level where it's believable. Um, sure. And so this Encanto, I can't remember how you Encanto, yeah. Encanto. Encanto, Encanto, Encanto. That film has like a magical house or what, I don't know what the premise is necessarily, but there's magical and and transformational stuff happening, which makes you go, okay, that could be what we'd call modern live action with tons of effects. 
you know? Yeah. I, I, I mean, that, that was just my take on it. And, and I've kind of noticed it across the board with animated features coming from all the different studios mm-hmm. there, there, there doesn't seem to be a defined house style really anymore. Uh, and I don't know if that's just the nature of the industry with people, got, you know, moving from project to project and so many animators just filtering through the various studios and back again. I, I'm not sure. But it seemed like yeah. when I looked at that Encanto um, trailer, uh, I, I felt like, you know, a lot of the animation principles were were missing or weakly represented. Uh, yeah, maybe the latter. Um, yeah. I will say this. So you bring up a good point about sort of, why something needs to be animated. And so I, our generation, um, Dave, I'm including you again in my generation, but uh, I think we had that thing. We, there was a saying at Disney is that, and I think this started with Walt, I was always told it was from Walt, um, was that Walt always said, you know, there had to be something in the storyline that, that made it have to be an animated movie. That we wouldn't take a, a script that could easily be a live action film and make that into a Disney film or TV series, it it had to have something in it that felt like it needed to be animated. And so I think that that line has grayed, and I'll say that of Disney, um, but in the industry, because of the onset of, of special effects and live action, sure, like sure. realistic special effects yeah. have made it so that many of these films that would have naturally been animated are now live action films, so that's one thing that's happened. But also I think we've lost that thing that says, no, but this is why it is animated. Like now we have to search for it a little bit harder, I guess is what I'm saying. But like Finding Nemo, okay, that's obviously that's the thing is like, well, now we're getting into the minds of fish. We're going underwater into a world that just isn't as fun, even with CG animation. We're going to do it. And then we're going to do it in a style that's a little simpler than what you would see. It's not photorealistic like you'd see in a CG animated feature. Um, so there's at least two reasons, right? It's like we're, we're diving into a world of characters that don't normally talk, right? So there's one sure. reason. Yeah. And uh, in, in the past, with the old Disney films, there was usually a magical element. And because we were introducing magic, you know, uh, that's also one reason why we're making this. Um, and so I'm trying to be careful with pencilish too, even though I'm making things that I think are a little, we're going for more of an edgy, a little bit older audience, more high school kind of age uh, audience, because we're going to YouTube, we're tapping into that TikTok culture. We're making short form shorts, by the way, our, our series are all five minutes long uh, in general. So we're tapping into that length that you, it works well on your cell phone, um, and so we want to go with storylines that go along with that that age group too. But I'm always trying to go back to that and go, but wait, but wait, we got to remember that this is animated. And so why is it animated? Okay. And so even though our storylines might be a little bit more mature, we have a fantasy element in there, or we have a, uh, you know, a character, at least one character in there that is uh, fantastic in some way. And so... Um, like we have one that's about a guy that, and I won't give too much away. We haven't announced it yet, but it's he. It's a twenty-something guy. You can announce it here exclusively. I'm gonna. <laughs> I, I just won't name it exactly. But you know, he's a he's a comedian uh, that I'm tapping on on YouTube, who's really well known uh, and is doing really well. But he he hasn't done an animated thing, and so his concept is it's about him basically living in New York by himself. And he's 20 something and that agitated 
time of life where you're kind of not sure what's next and and you're trying to move up the ladder at the office, but it's just a cubicle job and you're kind of miserable at the same time. And you have all these anxieties that, that are, are very prevalent in our world right now. And so it's about that guy, but the fantasy part is his brain can come out of his head and he actually has a conversation with his brain. <laughs> and it literally is a sort of a floating character and we put a face on it and all that. And so that's what's going to make that interesting is, and by the way, that brain is not helpful at all. It's kind of like Mushu in that <laughs> he's not really helping. Mushu wasn't helping Milan. He was more hurting her cause than It's anything. the lizard brain. Yeah. And so it's, yeah, it's that part of his brain that is, is negative and, and, uh, and, you know, if he's got like a, something on his neck and he's like, oh, I got this sort of, sore, that, that brain is going to see that as like, oh no, it's a tumor for sure. You got to go to the doctor. You're, you're literally dying right now. as I think uh. And so that's going to be the fun of that show. But again, while it is more mature and you could call it almost friends-ish, it's got a fantasy element to it that makes it want to be animated. It's a great do point. You, uh, are you guys going to do any sort of um, uh, children's shows? I mean, are you skewing uh, any younger? Not preschool for sure. And I'm not against that. I see that as maybe down the road in phase two or three. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we're launching with is we we have a target that we're trying to hit and it is more mature, you know? Yeah. Uh, I must admit there's a, there's a new thing out there called uh, maybe new to some, not to all of our listeners, but uh, webtoons.com. And what that is, is it's online web. And this is kind of out of my doing web comics online. I discovered webtoons and they're a Korean company, but what's fascinating about them is they have a, a large presence now in the U S and what they do is web comics, but they do it to a large degree where they have I don't know, thousands of web comics that they're uh-huh. offering on this site. And what they do is they've made some of them into animated series, but in general, it's a serial that you can now look on your phone. You can scroll it and, and, and view this comic strip basically, but in a, in a scrollable way. And, and there's some U S but a lot of it is, is uh, manga right. uh, because of where it's coming from. But all bizarre storylines, just crazy stuff, you know? I used to be a pig. I don't know, whatever it was, but it's like uh, these very unusual stories and usually pretty pretty big concepts. And uh, and then some that are not as much and they're a little bit more US relatable, I guess you could say. But um, it's fascinating what they're doing because they're just, they're putting out new content all the time from people all over the world. Um, and they're getting their sort of their chance to get large followerships. And by the way, they do. They have hundreds of thousands of people. That billions. Have, millions. That's that are, crazy. It's, yeah, billions. But hundreds of thousands usually on the, the larger, uh, on just one comic strip following that comic strip. And so it's a testing ground too. And so Pencilish is not that far off from that. We're, we're trying to hit that same target uh, model, but be the animated version of that. And this is literally the first time I've ever said that on a podcast uh, or in any kind of PR uh, for the company. Um, but I really think that that's, that's where the world is going is that my students that want to make content, but are also watching content, that's who I'm watching because they're taking over the world. They're in the next phase. I don't want to make stuff for me. I want to make stuff that I still like. And by the way, I am, but I'm, that's not really my target. My target. Yeah, but you, yeah, you want to, you want to target the largest audience possible. Yeah. 
And I want to go where they're going, but I also want to introduce that Disney concept of what are we making stuff that have a, has a reason for being made or animated at least. And is it fun or does it have romance? By the way, that's the two categories they really hit on, on web comics too, or it's either romantic or it's a comedy or it's a version of the both. And, and so, timeless. I mean, you want it to be timeless too, yeah. right? I mean, that, so, that that was always the beauty. You know, I mean, we're talking about these different things with, you know, what, what, what's happening with animation today. There's nothing wrong with doing humanoid characters. I mean, look at Peter Pan, mm-hmm. look at 101 Dalmatians, look at uh, Lady and the Tramp for, for, for that matter. You know, there, there are humanoid characters or parts of humanoid characters, but, but take Peter Pan, for instance. Those characters are beautifully designed. Yeah. You know, they're human characters, but they're 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 cartoony human characters. Yeah. You know, and and to me, uh, you know, when you look at a a, a Captain Hook or a Tinkerbell or, you know, the Lost Boys, they're they're human, they're they're humanish characters, but they're cartoons. Yeah. You know, and that's what we're, we're, I think we're missing in some of the character designs today. And I don't know if that's mm-hmm. the limitation of, of CG and it may have been 10, 15 years ago, but I don't think that's a limitation anymore. I think it's yeah. just the, the design of them. Well, and if I really want to lose followers, I'll go to the next step and say that anime doesn't, isn't really well known for making uh, really iconic characters, right? Right. Lot, they all look a, similar. There's a homogenization yeah. that I hope that even your anime fans listening uh, will semi agree with. I know that they'll argue that, and and it's true, I get that. But there, there's within that style, and you could say some would argue Disney has that too. That there's a homogenization to some of the features, and, and there is. But um, but that's the house style. Yeah, but I'm kind of taking more the TV animation world and going, okay, no, there's a lot of variety in TV animation. If you apply that to what the company, Webtoons, is doing, which is they're reaching a lot of people with really interesting stories um, and getting new ideas and new stories out there, but combine it with creating lovable characters and that have great character design where you want to have that plush toy or that merchandising later on, it's not just the concept that's really unique. You also have these really nice designs that go along with it. I really think that that's, there's not enough people doing that. And so yeah. tapping a new audience um, is, is kind of how I'm doing that with Pencilish. I think it's great. It's the evolution of a career. Uh, wouldn't you say? I mean, you're mm-hmm. you're you're kind of on your path and you're doing your thing. And I I can totally relate to the uh, you know stepping up to a new challenge. But once you've done and sort of conquered that challenge, it sort of is what's the next thing, mm-hmm. right? What's the next challenge? Because you have to keep challenging yourself. You have to keep learning. You have to keep doing new things as you go along, or you're just gonna shrivel up and go stale. Yeah. I, I already told my wife, like, this is the last one, babe. Like, I, I've done a lot of crazy things in my career, usually on side projects, but I'm like, this is the ultimate one, uh, having my own company, Pencilish, and, and ha- being the CEO of it, because I'm hitting all of the rest of my bucket list with this one. And mm-hmm. so I don't I have anything else left after this. <laughs> so I'm really going, this is my, I'm going for the fences on this one. You don't have anything uh, yet, <laughs> that's, what, that's all I'm going to say about well, that. Well, <laughs> I'm old enough to say, I don't know, you know, what comes after this, that I'm going to have as much energy, uh, you know, to really 
devote to it, but uh, this is the one. So, and it's inspiring. It's inspiring to see you kind of, you know, swing for the fences and, and, and go all in on it because, you know, it's inspiring. And it's, I think that that's what you, you've done, you know, throughout your career, you inspire people, you tell great stories and you're continually uh, doing that and you're evolving. And I think it's really cool that what you're doing with the studio, I mean, you know, my hat's off to you and, you know, we'll, we'll you. keep our listeners uh, posted as to how you're doing on. Yeah, yeah. And if I can, if I can be so bold, have your listeners go to pencilish.com and that's where they can find out about investment. They can, there's a, uh, uh, you can, a link to go to, to, to the WeFunder page to find out more about the actual company investment side too. And is that, uh, that's something that we'll put in the show notes for sure mm-hmm. for the episode. Uh, but uh, Tone, uh, <laughs> I, I'm just, I, I, I'm going to shoot myself. Tom, uh, what, what is it, Algin? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tom, would you do me a favor and and, and for parting words, would mm-hmm. you would you sort of uh, talk a little bit about um, really what what what's inspirational and what what a a young artist who's just starting out, maybe they're in high school and they're, they're thinking about going into this crazy animation career. Um, you know, what would, what would you tell them to encourage them or, or uh, dissuade them? You know, I, so I have a new one. Um, I, uh, I, I think all of us as artists that get these questions a lot, we got to kind of evolve our answers. Right. And it used to be easy just to say, well, draw every day. And that was my answer. Draw every day. Because if you really want to be at an Olympic level, if you're saying, I want to go to Disney, I want to go to Pixar, that's what you're talking about, right? But even just being in the profession and, and having a career in animation, it, it really is the Olympic level, um, if you want to use sports analogies. And so to do that, if I want to be an Olympic swimmer, I have to get into the pool every day, right? How would I be an Olympic swimmer if I didn't do that? It would be ridiculous, Right, right. But artists, for some reason, creative people, writers included and actors and all of that, and musicians, there you go, Algin, mm-hmm. they, to be at that pro level that you want to be at, you know, th- there's still so many people in this world that, that believe they can get there just by wanting it and by wishing it and dreaming of it. And no, you got to work at it. You got to be a pro level to get to the pro levels. And so many students and things that come to me are, not even close. And it's sort of like American Idol, right? When you watch those train wrecks and they like to put on those few people that can't hear at all what they sound like and their mom likes them. And so therefore they think they can be a pro and no, I'm as good as Michael Jackson. I know I am. My mom told me, you know, and there's some of that within the arts. And I, I, I don't understand it. Tony and I never felt that way. We were always the opposite. We were looking up constantly, not looking left and right, looking up, looking at, yeah. at not peers, but at pros. And so we could always see, oh no, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Got to work on this. And so my new answer isn't just draw every day because people then go to their sketchbook and they go, oh, okay, I got to put in two hours. And it's not that mentality. You, you got to know what you're drawing and have a direction. And so we said it earlier, my new answer is, is iterations is approach drawing like you should. Everything else is that I'm not going to do just one drawing of a female basketball player. That's kind of shy. I'm going to do multiple character designs of that character. I'm going to do at least five versions of pretty much everything I draw from here on out. And if you do that one, you're going to be drawing more, right? You're, um, and if you do that too, uh, you're also going to be thinking like an artist, 
And that's super important is, is am I thinking like an artist? Am I, by doing iterations, I'm trying to think about, okay, now how can I change that? I've done one version of a, even a vacuum cleaner. Now, how do I draw a vacuum cleaner from a different angle? And, and what does that look like? How do I caricature a, a vacuum cleaner? And that's what prop design is all about. So you will grow as an artist. I almost guarantee it within a year. If you take on that mantle of I'm going to do multiple drawings of every single thing I draw from here on out. You know, that I, I think that's really great advice. Um, and it, it, it made me think of another question I want to throw to you. So, so those yeah. were not your parting words, uh, but have you noticed uh, a lot of art students today who really just don't even have the basic uh, chops uh, to draw properly, but think they can. I mean, I've I've witnessed oh, yeah. some portfolios from people who are two or three years into an animation program, and I am absolutely shocked at, at yeah. how badly the drawings are done. Yeah, and, and I, I'm going to say something I probably shouldn't, which is I've seen the other side of that, the education side of that, the university level side of that, where you need butts in the seats. And okay, so that's the reason for it, right? No, I wouldn't We're say that's part, 100%, part, but, that's but I will say that I grew up when I was at CalArts hearing about the Chouinard School. Sure. And what I would hear about the Chouinard School, and by the way, that's pre-CalArts, Chouinard and a, and a music school and a theater the, the, school. Yeah, the L.A. Combined. Conservancy, yeah. They combined. It became, you become CalArts, and I was going to CalArts. So some of my instructors were from the Chouinard School. A lot of the nine old men went to Chouinard. Um, mm-hmm. And so it was known as this, this uh, kind of stingy, hard art school where that mentality of if you want to draw, you want to learn how to draw a hand, we'll draw a thousand hands and bring it in tomorrow morning and, and we'll look at them. And about by the time you do the 900th one, you're going to be getting pretty good at drawing hands, like that mentality, right? Yeah, yeah. Of, and we don't have that mentality in art schools anymore. We have that mentality of, of it, it's going to be, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be fine uh, you know, do those, do maybe three versions and let's take a look at that. Right. And here I am saying do five iterations. So I'm pushing that a little bit, but, um, that mentality of draftsmanship and the importance of draftsmanship is, is going away. And this is, this is art schools wide. This is not schools. This is around the world that, um, are, and I don't want to call it perfectionism, uh, but our our desire to to draw to that level of the masters is just going away. We see it in animation. We already talked about it yeah. in animation. The bar is being lowered. Yeah, is what it, what it boils Accessibility down. Accessibility is is yeah. what it's become. Is is it a style that's accessible? Is it a? Right. And we we've, yeah. we've talked about it with music already too. Sure. Yeah. Um, and that is what the world is all about now. On the creative side, it's. It's elsewhere too, but uh, everybody has to be accessible and and their styles do too. Tom, I want to thank you so much for being on the Skull Rock podcast. Yeah. Uh, very inspiring. And it was great hearing your stories. And, and I love the fact that you're your own person. You're, you, you, you took your own path, your own trajectory, 
in animation and uh, and it's just inspiring to hear all the different things that you've done to get to this place where you now have a studio so we look forward to having you back when you get your first couple of shows uh up uh and running i will i'd be i'd be excited about that thank you guys thank you thanks tom your attention please (laughs) now loading on track number one for a trip around Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. Skull Rock Podcast. All aboard. Your main street to the world of Disney. Can I say, Dave, what a delight. What a delight. You know, Tom Bancroft is just one of those really genuine, low-key guys. You know, he, he's just a wonderful person to talk. There's a calming effect when you talk with him. There really is. He, yeah. He's a very thoughtful individual, and I really enjoyed talking with him. And we could have probably gone on for another hour. Absolutely. Well, we look forward to having him back because we didn't even touch on the different questions our listeners have regarding Lion King or Mulan or, or Atlantis, uh, any of those films uh, that he worked on during his stint. And, and, and gosh, you know, and the guy just keeps on you know, doing it. He's, uh, I know he worked on uh, the new Space Jam movie that came out. So we yeah. need to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, no, it's, it's unbelievable. Well, once again, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in and, and getting us to the finish line with this show. Uh, once again, all of our show archives are there. Check out our links here in the show notes on, over there at Anchor, um, SkullRockPodcast.com. We'll point you to all of our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, and then once again, we encourage everybody to email us because we love getting email uh, and questions, comments, and reviews. Uh, Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com or Aljon at SkullRockPodcast.com as well. Dave, final words. Well, as always, Aljon, peace and love to everybody. Go out and be kind this coming week. Uh, enjoy yourselves. The world is opening up, and we look forward to having you back for another exciting week next week on the Skull Rock Podcast. I'm Al John Go, co-host of the Disney List Podcast, as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock Podcast, here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel vacations for people all the time. Give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves. Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks well over a hundred times. So they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money. Where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next Disney cruise, Disney park trip, adventures by Disney? They can contact me at themeparksandcruises at gmail.com. I'm Kristen Hetzel, co-host of Dining at Disney Podcast. Every week I chat about dining at Disneyland and Walt Disney World Resort and Disney Cruise Line with my fellow foodie, Bubba. We also feature restaurants and food reviews, information to help you plan your dining, Disney food news, recipes, and a monthly panel discussion. Visit DiningAtDisney.com and subscribe to Dining at Disney Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform. Dining at Disney Podcast, the happiest plate on earth.